We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 384 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton. He's Levon, a.k.a. Barcelov. And yeah, while I am still a little bit under the weather, it's been a few days since the match, so enough time for me to maybe have a little more water, a few more throat lozenges, and uh, I don't know if that's plural, uh, plural or not. But anyway, I think there are still a few things to discuss from Barcelona's 4-1 victory over Real Sociedad. So 4-1 sounds pretty comprehensive. And Levon, where I think we should start, is with the looming business left to be done in the transfer window. Kunde is still unregistered, and we can get into our how he'll affect the lineup stuff later, but we're still waiting to hear of any news on Aubameyang and Mevis Dubai exits, plus questions about Marcus Alonso and Juan Foyth, or any other transfers coming in, Hector Bellerin we've heard as well. How do you think all that will shake out in the coming week? Because we do have now, what, it's eight days until the transfer window closes. I mean, I have to... Disappoint the the listeners here because I have no idea what exactly is needed for us to register Kunde. Right, right, because we don't know if uh, if this starts from zero or not. So apparently, what the league has told the club is that any money that we make does not count towards any um, advantage. I was going to say lever but that will be misconstrued, um, does not count towards anything related to the registration of pay- players. So it would be purely uh, based on salary that we save, which means that if Kunde has like a 6 million, 6.5 million euro salary, uh, you would need to save that, plus the amortization on his, what was it, 55 million transfer fee that we paid to Sevilla? Yeah, I'm not sure what the exact number was. Somewhere between 48 and 55. I think you're right about that. Okay, so, I mean, um, after tax, that's anywhere between 20 and 25 million that we would need to save. That's more than the salary of uh, Memphis, for example, if he leaves. Um, it It might be roughly the size of the salaries of Memphis and Obama Young combined. This might also be why uh, the club is trying to to move on death. Um, but you know, if if this is what is needed to register Kunde, I don't see where we're going to get the money from to to bring in an, another signing. Now, as for why on earth would we sign a left back or or a right back? 
I have even less of an idea because I don't think for the money that uh, we would spend, we're going to get a significant upgrade uh, on Dest, who I don't think I never really shared uh, the faith of people who had been hyping him for the two seasons before he came to Barcelona. But I still think that there's there is a player there with with potential. Like, if you ask me, hey, who would you rather see at left back, Dest or Balde? Neither of whom I have tremendous faith in, or Marcos Alon- Alonso. I'm going to go with the players that we have. If you're going to ask me, hey, who would you rather see at right back, Dest or uh, Meunier from Borussia Dortmund? I'm going to go with Dest. If you're going to tell me we need a right back because Araujo is not a proper right back, then I say, well, you know, against teams in which we do not have to be that afraid of their offense, we can play three in the back, and then we should have enough firepower up front to overcome them. And against teams who are very strong and we need the extra cover, Araujo is actually the perfect right back, because who would you rather have at right back against Vinicius? Yeah, I mean, we saw even in that preseason Clasico with Araujo against Vinicius, and we saw last year in the 4 nothing that that's the play against these really deadly left-wingers that exist in world football. Now one, exactly. the, now, one of the questions about Barcelona kind of wanting to reinforce in those fullback positions as well, other than what we've seen so far in the preseason and, and the first two games of the season as far as depth of the squad, Apparently, some FFP sanctions for Barcelona and was it eight other teams or seven other teams, eight counting Barcelona, could be coming down next season. Now, I'm a little skeptical on whether those would be transfer bans. I think those would more in line be fines, if anything, because if you take out eight of the major players in the, we'll say, football market or football economy, uh, I, I think that that might do more damage to the underlying product. I, I mean... I, again, that's all speculation coming from me, but just like taking PSG and Juventus and Barcelona and whatever those other four or five teams may be, I don't know. I, I, just, I think it's dangerous for the, the pyramid that is that transfer market, which is already on thin ice, if you will. Uh, you could argue that they were the same teams that inflated it to the point to make it dangerous in the opposite direction. Yeah, if you can make any sense of that. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that would be the only reason that Barcelona would desperately want to be bringing these players in. Now, why I want to start by talking about the game, the transition about left back makes sense to me. Because while one game against Real Sociedad for Alejandro Balde doesn't you know, prove whether or not over the course of a season that it comes down to whether Barca should bring another left back. But after this game, I was thinking that seeing Balde in the preseason and seeing him even in that game against Real Sociedad, he is just fine to be the backup to Jordi Alba. It seems like even at 18, I, what I've been saying about him for the last few seasons as he was injured and I was worried about his trajectory, but now that he's healthy again... He looks just fine as a backup and a young backup at that at 18 years old. He is basically a left winger, right? So if Xavi's going to usually go with three center backs or two center backs and have Ronald Araujo be tucking in as that right center back or, or right back, whatever you want to call that role, and then Balde is basically playing on the left wing, that can suit him just fine. But the issue for Balde, I don't think, is whether or not he can be the backup, but more line, how much does Xavi actually trust Jordi Alba to be the actual starter week in and week out, and eat up 70 to 80% of the minutes. Actually, last year, he ate up 90% of the minutes at that position. If Xavi believes that Alba's 
kind of falling off a cliff. And even if people say, oh, he's dedicated to him and his salary is too much, you have to pay him. Yes. But if Xavi sees that he's falling off a cliff in training in preseason because he's not looked good so far and we're now six, seven games into seeing him at the start of the season, then arguably the club is bringing in Alonso to basically split the job, to be 50-50, to be a, a, a 100% competition for Jordi Alba. You know, because again, we're, that sample size is growing as to how much Xavi might actually trust Alba in this situation. So I think if they bring in a backup like Alonso, looking again at that performance that Balde put on against Real Sociedad, it says a lot more, I think, about Alba's showings or, or where he projects this season than it does about Balde. I think it's uh, way too early to to judge on how Alba's season is going to be. First of all, sure. like what you said is true. Balde played as a winger. He did not replace Jordi Alba at all. Um, when we when we saw the starting lineup, it seems pretty clear that oh, okay, wow, uh, Ferran Torres is going to start as uh, left forward after three months of inactivity. Oh, wow, he's starting with Balde instead of Alba. But the surprise was even bigger because Ferran Torres was the attacking midfielder, and Balde was the left winger. The, the preseason, I don't know. I've spent the summer here in Barcelona where it is so hot and humid that you can hardly breathe. And those have also been the conditions in uh, in the United States where they've played most of the preseason. So we had the match against Rayo at between 10 o'clock and midnight. And even in the second half, the yeah. players needed a water break. That's that's how hard it has been. So it's very difficult to judge uh, Jordi Alba, who um, runs quite a lot and is asked to to sprint a lot. I love Balde's energy, but my fundamental criticism of whenever I saw him play for Barca B has not changed. Like when when he has the ball, he does not know what to do with it, and this was true throughout the game. It was even true the assist that he gave Lewandowski because. It was an attempted shot. It was not. It was not a pass. That was back. Like if you watch him sh- uh, uh, play that ball from from behind, uh, you see that there was backlift. Uh, he was shooting it with power, and he he kind of like scuffed his shot, which made for really a perfect pass. Yeah. For 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 Lewandowski. And what we learned from Lewandowski, I think, in this game too, is that you don't necessarily need to give him a perfect pass. You can give him a semi-perfect pass, and Lewandowski can still put the ball in the back of the net as he does many, many times. And he well, won't yeah, he's it. Lewandowski. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so I think the next place we go with this in this direction, we've been already been kind of hinting and tiptoeing around the formation. Is you know this four-one victory, a comprehensive, really good result, right? But the narrative was that there were things that were missing, there were things that were lacking, especially in the first sixty minutes of the game, and then all of a sudden the subs come in. And with a snap of our fingers, right? So we could talk about Ansu, or we could talk about the first half in the formation. So, uh, Levon, which direction would you like to go? Would you like to do the Ferran Torres, the the right wing situation with Dembele in front of Araujo and the space that was left in behind? Or do you want to go and go with the positive here and that, you know, Ansu came on as a sub along with Rafinha and Barcelona had the attacking options to change a game regardless of how poorly or how disorganized they seem to be in the first 60 minutes. So yeah, you want a positive or negative? I think that's again the only two mm. paths you have for this for this game. No, I'm 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 going to go a different path. What I thought was very interesting about about this was not so much the the starting formation, um but the fact that Xavi to- chose two players who were 
far from the best options for the, for their roles. So uh, he chose a left winger who never knows what to do with the ball, who is terrible when he gets into the final third and um, uh, and has to make assists, although he has looked better this preseason. Um, and he chose uh, somebody at, at the top of the midfield diamond who, um, for all his quality, qualities, he has good movement, he has good decision-making, uh, he can score, um, but he does not have a lot of creat- creativity or finesse. So uh, at the top of the diamond, right behind Lewandowski, um, you want somebody with finesse. You want somebody who can uh, who can play a, play a through ball, who can who does not need a lot of space to to surprise his opponents and maybe create space for his own shots when he has passed the ball. And for sixty minutes, we saw this. We saw the team struggle. And what were the two changes that um, that Xavi made? He he took off Balde for an actual winger, and he took off Ferran Torres, who position-wise uh, was pretty much the 10 mm-hmm. on that pitch, and replaced him with the kid who's wearing the number 10. So what happened? We had we had a winger who created, who was at the base of uh, the the next three goals. We had a number 10 who gave two assists within two minutes and scored the winner. So the, the the problem was not the the formation, the problem was the personnel and the, the initial choices uh, that Xavi made were were very strange. Now I like it when coaches make strange strange choices. Sometimes they work out, sometimes they don't. Um, even when the reasons why they wouldn't work out are were predictable, I still like it yeah. a lot more when when coaches surprise me than when um, uh, nine times out of ten I can kind of guess how we're gonna line up and how we're gonna play. Are you missing out on your favorite show because it's not available in your region? Trying to keep your private time private? Well, let me introduce you to NordVPN. And I gotta say, for Kool-Aid, this isn't just me reading an ad here, the Barcelona podcast would not exist without VPNs. As far as what I get asked, how can you seem to be catching up with football happening in Catalonia? How are you, Dan, able to watch some young 19-year-old that Barcelona are linked with in the Danish league or the Norwegian league? It's a little bit hyperbole there, but you get the point. And for Frances, when he was moving around from London to Qatar, it was all about how we use that VPN to make sure we didn't miss any action, even if we were traveling. So NordVPN has been head and shoulders above the rest of the competition for just that thing. So if you're bored of US Netflix and want to get away from sports, why not take it for a spin in the UK? Using NordVPN and a click of a button, you can do just that. No need to travel to Japan for your favorite anime when NordVPN brings it right to you. With 5,000 plus server options, no show is out of your reach. Using my link nordvpn.com backslash the Barcelona, you can receive a huge discount on a two-year plan plus one free month. And we all love to binge, but privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. They've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it ever makes a mess of your computer. Don't forget, there's literally no risk to you with their 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll issue a refund, and you can pretend the entire situation never even happened. Check out my link, nordvpn.com backslash Barcelona to get your subscription started today. All right, back to the show. Yeah, I mean, let me jump in on Ferran Torres real quick. I think with Torres, you know, I, I think 
based on the narrative that's already been set for him, unfortunately, in last spring, not in Catalonia, but I think with, with we'll say the, the global media have already decided on Ferran Torres. But to be thrown back kind of into the fire, if you will, without much of a preseason, without much time with Lewandowski, and being asked to play in the role that he that he did, I, I think that clearly he looked like he wasn't match, not even match fit, but up to the speed of a match. He wasn't ready for that moment, if you will. And so I find myself very easily being apologetic of him after this one game because I go, well, yeah, he didn't really have a preseason with anybody else. And it's not like, while Lewandowski is one of the best at his position, it doesn't necessarily always make that easier. Sometimes when the guy like Lewandowski is doing and playing a different position than Ferran Torres in Xavi's system has had, which is he's not yet played in Xavi's system with a typical number nine. And you could argue even at Man City that Ferran Torres didn't really truly have that player either. So to get down those intri- those, those details and to figure out how to play on the back foot. And I, I would say too, in that midfield, like I think the next person we talk about is Frankie de Young because that it was really a box, right? In that three, four, three, even in the first half before in the second half as well with Gabi and Pedri. And, you know, I, I, I had to watch it on a second time to really understand where Gabi and Pedri were in this whole thing. Because to me, you know, I'll start with a positive in that Pedri, I, I want to keep repeating it because we're going to always repeat it. It's going to be a, a broken record, but Pedri is just so multifaceted. It's not even good, but he's just so multifaceted and versatile that when Xavi, especially when the subs came on and Xavi said, hey, Pedri, you're basically going to drop in deep, almost be the third center back like Busquets, where he's supposed to stand at times and pick up the ball from deep. Or you're going to be in a double pivot with De Young. You're going to cover for him when he's trying to get forward. And when we need you to push forward, you're going to have to substitute in with Gabi. Or when Kessie came on, he's going to be uh, take on some of that defensive role, Pedri, if you choose to get forward in that way. And so for for Pedri, there was so much that he was doing. And it almost, not to say lets Gabi off the hook a little bit, but Gabi wasn't truly comfortable, I think, dropping in and being in a double pivot, if you will, with De Young. But instead, it was Pedri who was doing that job when when called upon. And for Gabi, it was a lot of pushing forward, trying to help impress. But as I said before, with Torres not really there, and there was just too much space on those wings. Again, Balde trying to cover that whole left wing. And on the other side with the right the right wing situation, Dembele would either drop too deep where he was now receiving the ball too deep and not being able to really attack forward and do what he does best, or Araujo was covering that entire right side and having to come from the middle of the field where he was covering for, again, Eric Garcia, it is really a domino, right? I can almost, as you see, I'm kind of creating the maze and looping around the field because Eric Garcia, who had not say trouble, I don't think he had trouble dealing with Isak. I thought he was good enough, but still you want that extra help from Christensen over to that left side with Eric Garcia. Again, Baldi's playing on the wing. So that drags Araujo over a little bit. That drags Dembele in a little bit deeper. That means your press is not as fervent moving forward, meaning Gabi is is not optimally being used. And then again, Ferran Torres, where is he on the press? Uh, he would seem to be a step slow to that as well. Uh, and then you just have, again, Pedri cleaning so much up. And that's the positive, that even when it seems like spatially things weren't working, Pedri's just always there for you. Now, in the case of De Jong, I think, Levon, you're always so good at this. I think there were people that were too hard on De Young, but I also don't find a way to be very positive about his performance. And I think the truth might be somewhere in the middle there. No, no, this was one of his worst matches. <laughs> okay, okay. No. Yeah, then, no. I mean, then, the, then, the, then, the, then the, let's the, lean into that sentiment. No. Sure, the, I agree with you. The, this, the, this, this was dreadful. This was dreadful. Uh, and it's it started with, uh, with the goal that he concedes. And 
first of all, I was upset about how he conceded it because oh, sure. uh, when, 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 when they took the ball from him, there was no need for the, for, to dribble. He had Petri at seven yards uh, with, a, with a wide open line uh, while two people were coming at, at him. But instead, he starts like uh, dawdling on the ball, turning around, Trying to, trying to make one of those evasive dribbles for for no reason at all. He could have just bypassed those two people pressing him and given the ball to Petty. Then when they take the ball from him, in, instead of reacting and defending and closing down the space, his first reaction is to complain to the referee. And this is something that we've always seen from uh, from De Jong when things don't when a very specific action on the pitch does not go his way. He either complains to the referee if it's a foul or if it's a poor pass, he wastes time throwing his arms up in frustration with, uh, with a poor pass while the, play, while the play continues. And if you actually rewatch this goal, and not only does he lose the ball, but if after the lose, losing the ball, he sprints back, he would have been in time to actually clear the ball off the line. And the, 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 the rest of the game or at least the first 60 minutes, because the last 30 minutes, he was fine, to be honest. He improved a lot. Um, but the first 60 minutes, it was just a, a lot of the same. Um, he, he needs to pass the ball. That that spell that he had last season, when he really started to improve, is because he stopped dribbling all the time. And, and he actually started just like receiving, taking one or two touches, and passing it. I really feel like that game against Napoli was when he turned the corner. I remember that one in particular, yeah. that he was really good in that Napoli game. But yeah, it seems like that is not who he and is. I, I understand if his mind is not right. I understand that he's had a horrible summer. But if this is the type of season that he's going to have, then the season will be worse than the summer. Because I don't mind if players make mistakes. I don't mind if we make blunders and... They cost us points, um, but what bothers me about uh, the mistake, and besides the way that he reacted, he reacted to it, is that it is just so extremely typical of the flaw of Frankie de Jong at Barcelona that we have seen for the last three seasons. From the beginning, what did Frankie need to improve? To pass the ball quickly, to recognize the players around him and pass it. So in, in, in three years, he still hasn't got it. I, I understand. I understand why. I, like, like a lot of players who are physically very gifted from a very young age, it has become extremely easy throughout his whole career for Frankie Young to, to just keep the ball and drill past two or three or four players. So he never, he never really needed to understand the passing game like other midfielders needed. But at, at, at this level, after three years at Barcelona, no, this is this is not possible. Yeah, I mean, and then again, that leaves the club in its standstill with, uh, I mean, again, talking about potential sanctions coming down next season and with his salary that you and I have talked about at nauseum, we're not going to do that again right now, that Barcelona are stuck in this situation with Frankie de Jong moving forward. And so throw out those ideas of Bernardo Silva because as long as Frankie de Jong is making what he's making, that's, that's a pipe dream, that's a joke. Uh, and that'll come up a lot tomorrow. I think for the friendly, that'll be the main topic. Uh, we'll try to analyze what happens in that game, but you know, I, I doubt that matters much. But one of the guys that I don't think is going to start and play much in that game, if he does, is going to be in, in third gear or second gear, if you will, is Ansu Fati, which on the reverse side of what we saw from Frankie de Jong, we saw 
from Ansu what he's capable of. And what made Ansu, I think, so special in that game and what the big change between he and Rafinha coming in for, for Balde and for Ferran Torres is just, again, space and it's help and it's the gravity, I think would be the word, that those two players attract. Rafinha is such a danger from long range that when he's coming horizontal across that box, he attracts that second defender or the defensive midfielder, Zubamendi, had no idea who he should be marking. Should be marking Ansu, who was coming up through the middle at that point with Dembele around the outside, right? Should be helping to the out for Dembele, especially on that nice finish by Dembele on that goal that, that Ansu laid off on the back heel. Again, no one is guarding Dembele because Real, uh, Real Sociedad just completely collapsed upon Ansu. And what Ansu is that, that again, Ferran Torres is not, is just gravity, that he is a threat in the box. He's a threat out wide. And so often, unlike Farron, Farron, who was trying to come through the middle and you know work these one-twos that weren't working, Ansu would start his runs from out wide, and Dembele would start in a deeper position even. And then either there was the overlap, or Ansu would then come inside, and with or without the ball, he retracted two or three because there was a ball being returned right to him. He's technically good enough to handle that. And then again, you also have Robert Lewandowski you have to worry about. That's how Robert Lewandowski got the second goal as well, is the gravity of, of Ansu. And then Rafinha, again, cutting across with those pre-assists, is a danger as well. And I think for Rafinha, I'm watching his movement and I'm saying, well, this is what Barcelona wanted from Coutinho all that time, where he's setting up his positioning, coming across from the wing and an ability to just kind of pop up in the middle of the field as well, where even if he's not getting the ball, he's attracting attention from, especially I believe it was the Lewandowski from Ansu goal, where Rafinha is kind of being occupied by Mikel Moreno, and that's one of the players for Real Sociedad that you want to make sure his eyes are not on the ball or not on the player that's making that third man run, which is Lewandowski in that in that situation. So the the to, to TLDR, as in uh, TLDR, too long didn't read, Barcelona's attackers, when Ansu comes on the field, I wasn't sure how they were going to have Ansu and Rafinha and Dembele and Lewandowski together. But if that, I mean, this was kind of the opening the Pandora's box that Xavi had in his back pocket. We didn't see it all in preseason. So then when he needed it, he was able to flip that switch. And that's what happened, that when you have four players that are, are really, 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 really high-level attackers, right? I mean, arguably, all four of them are top 50, 40 I, I, give me a number here, 30, 40, 50 in the world, all four of them, as far as attackers in world football, and you have those guys to flip that switch, that can get you points in the Liga even when you aren't your best. And that's why Barcelona, again, 4-1 might be deceiving, but it also isn't. Because a, a number of times this season, those four and their quality are going to bail Barcelona out, and that's okay. Like Barcelona, it's okay for them to have individual glory. Messi did it a lot of times. Ronaldinho did it a lot of times. Rivaldo did it a bunch of times. Individual glory happens at Barcelona. Individual talent can get results for Barca, and that trophy will count just the same if they if they get the three points over and over again that way. I mean, I... you don't want to rely on it though, of course. Like you want a team that plays good, that plays well. That plays no, no, football. no, no. But um, I'm 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 not so sure if if it is all down to in individual um, moments. Sure. Because of course. Ta talent makes uh, makes a difference, and here again, we are not necessarily comparing individual talent of the people who uh, were subbed out and the people who were subbed in. Um, I do believe that the people who are subbed in are more talented, but also the people who were on the pitch to begin with were not playing in a role or position that they are particularly suited for. Sure. So the moment that you replace them with players that are more talented and you 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 give them 
a role that <laughs> that they are suited for, then you know it's not necessarily just um, just an individual play that makes the difference. Uh, everything comes together. Regarding Anzu first, and then I have another comment for you, which um, people outside of Spain might not have caught on caught onto. What I think was very interesting about Ansu is uh, the same excellent movement and decision-making in the box that uh, led to two assists and one goal um, were also on display outside of the box. So what we're seeing here is a player who came on for 30 minutes and he basically played a perfect match. He played a perfect match yeah, all, all over the pitch. Because he also dropped back at, at times because he very much took over that role that Ferran uh, attempted to play. I do not understand how a 19-year-old who has been injured for most of the last two seasons can become such a complete player, even if it's just for 30 minutes, can have such a beautiful game and whose understanding of the game has seen on the basis of last match has seemed seems seems to have grown so much like how is this possible we always talk about uh well you know uh maybe nico gonzalez he needs to be loaned out because if he plays like uh uh 25 uh 25 matches then he will learn a lot and he will develop a lot and, and this is not false but ansu fati when did he learn this he he played how many matches last season uh, tw- yeah, eighteen to twenty, something like that. Eighteen to twenty, something like that. But a lot of them were just like appearances. Uh, yeah, yeah, appearances, not like uh, actual uh, ninety minutes or uh, sixty minutes. Yeah, appearances. Appearances. Yeah. So for him to be gone for so long, and to come back like that, so first he keeps like being injured, and then he comes back and he scores. And uh, when he comes back and he scores within fifteen minutes, of course we know he's special. <laughs> you know, I'm. I'm I always uh, I always say that he's special, but we think he's special because he scores. But he's more special than just the goals. Yeah, for sure. Be- because it, his understanding of the game is is up there with with those very rare talents. So yeah, it's very exciting. I just I just hope the guy stays stays fit. That's what uh, it is. Obviously. Like, yeah. I mean, I will say about Ansu, like it's it's fitness is the one and only thing. So for those already asking, why is he not starting? When will he be starting? I don't think he needs to because again, that's why Barcelona put spent all that money on Rafinha. You don't need Ansu and Dembele and Lewandowski to be your three starters every time with Ferran Torres rotating mm-hmm. and who knows about Aubameyang in Memphis. But Rafinha and Dembele and Lewandowski. You know, I would guess that those three will start the most games this season, but that doesn't mean that Ansu hasn't made the next Lewandowski, we'll say, quote-unquote, biggest impact, if you will, on games, game in and game out. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. And and, and, and he's going to be like uh, like Messi was when uh, Ronaldinho, Ronaldinho was still the star mm-hmm. at, the, at the club. And when Ronaldinho was not just the star, but like, was still like, the star pretty much in his prime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the club, because... You know, Ansu needs needs that protection. So well, the the I other, want to ask, the other well, thing here. before we move on, I, I want to say one more thing about Ansu that I saw some things too about Ansu, and I know the argument about the number ten thing is going to keep being brought up as it was in the preseason when Ansu falters or when he doesn't or when it seems like he's not being special when he's not completely 
lighting our eyes on fire every single time he touches the field. Those things about the number 10, and we talked about protecting him, right? At his age, he still needs to be protected from, from media, from pressure, from all these different things. But the two things I hold on to when I did all the research about the history of the number 10 at Barca, you know, he's not, if you link the, his, the number 10 shirt to Messi, if that's what you're going to do, then of course there's tremendous impossible pressure, impossible pressure. It's not going to happen. But if the number 10 is just not only a jersey, as it was for a long time, you know, number 10 means something because of Maradona, whatever. But if it's just the number and it just means an important player for Barcelona, which is what Ansu is, that's one. But part two of that is even if we're putting the pressure of the number 10 on Ansu, I think his, again, ability to just be special in limited minutes. I mean, he's got a goal or assist every like 64 minutes and he's got a goal every 93 minutes or something in the last year and a half. Again, that's even returning from injury. That's even being hurt. He scores basically every time, every 90 minutes or so that he's on the field and he scores. So I think he's easily able to handle the pressure if there is any of the number 10 shirt. But again, I also question whether or not, you know, it truly matters how much pressure that is. It's just a very popular player, a player that's going to sell jerseys and a player that you're telling the rest of the world, hey, this kid is special. And duh, this kid is special. It's a very much like Pedri's number eight shirt at this point, that it's going to be special. Number eight for Barcelona, it meant something. It meant something then. It means something now. But I don't think the pressure is on Pedri either because he can. he's already good enough to handle the shirt in a way that I I'm, think Atsu is just fine to handle a shirt because it is just a jersey number. One of the best things about the Palancas is precisely the, uh, the fact that, uh, you know, now you have Ansu understanding that he's a 19 year a very special 19 year old playing alongside Lewandowski, uh Dembélé, uh Ferran Torres and and Rafinha and maybe still Alba. So it takes that pressure off of him. If we do not win anything this season, nobody is going to blame Ansu Fati. Right. No be, 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 because we just spent an incredible amount of of money on uh, on other players, two of whom are forward. One is a superstar, and the other is somebody coming into his prime. So I I don't think that there's a lot of pressure on him. Uh, I think he's going to have fun. Uh, he he looks comfortable. He looks happy. So no, my my main comment is just that uh, what what has most impressed me is his understanding of the of the game in all of its facets was on full display and again the same things that he did right in the box that were decisive were things that he he was doing right all over the pitch and wow so yeah um we talked a lot about Ansu Fati and uh when um the the coach of uh Real Sociedad Arwasil was asked in the post interview uh, game did Ansu Fati change the game guess what he said what? <laughs> it could be anything. I mean, what? <laughs> um, he said that, no, that at that point, uh, Real Sociedad simply could not keep up the, the rhythm that uh, the game was played at. Are we is, that not, is that not interesting then? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, I always try to do this for a little bit in every match, and I can be honest because I've been a little under the weather. I didn't, you know, I tried to do this exercise and I, I don't know if this is a fair exercise to do, but I always try to do this exercise where I think of the match that I just watched for at least like two or three minutes from the perspective of the other team. 
right? I always try to think where is it fit in the course of their season? Where does it fit in what their goals were? Now, for Real Sociedad, I think we we kind of, and I did this too, I umbrellaed it and said playing on the road at Real Sociedad historically is a very difficult place to play, and they should be a difficult opponent. But then, not not so, not so much for the last six, seven games. Right, so. right, right. And but I think again, we're it's the broad, the, the this broad narrative that it's difficult to play there. But when you look at the eleven, you look at the actual team and the and the thing that they're trying to put together, led by uh, Imanol, as you said, with with Kubo kind of fitting in. David Silva is what thirty five now, thirty well thirty four turning into or thirty no he's thirty six, going to be thirty thirty seven this year. So thirty six on thirty seven, right? David Silva. You know, Zubamendi is now for, and I think next last year he kind of took over that that uh, that defensive midfield spot. He kind of took it and, and made it his own. But still, it's not really being the guy as a defensive midfielder that they're going to trust game in and game out. Bryce Mendez is just settling in from Celta, and again, you're taking putting a lot on Kubo. We saw the debuts off the bench of Robert Navarro, an old Barcelona player who left, I believe, at Juvenile Bay level, or maybe Kida Alav when he was like, he didn't sign his professional contract. He moved to Real Sociedad to sign his professional contract. And then Momo Cho, who's come over from Angers in France, is still 18 years old, or just turned 18 years old, and is trying to figure things out as well, coming in off the bench. So I think for this Real Sociedad team, it's not what what we're used to, right? We're, we're used to, Athletic Club is always going to give you what they're going to give you, right? Athletic Club is always going to, they've got their brass knuckles, they're hiding in their belt, and they're going to they're gonna punch you when you're not looking. That's what happens when you're on the road at Athletic Club. But in, in the case of Real Sociedad, you know, they've gone through so many different iterations, even of the 15 years I've been covering La Liga, that they, uh, of, of their identity. And they're going through, I think, another transition now where we kind of saw what they were piecing together with, with Odegaard. Then they brought in David Silva to take over the role that was that attacking midfielder from Odegaard. And now again, you have, it's still Silva, but with Kubo expected to take a bit more of those, uh, the, the offensive ability as well, and attacking a midfielder spot, uh, kind of dropping in as a secondary striker, being on the wing, trying to figure out where he belongs. So to that end, mm-hmm. yeah, I think Real Sociedad is trying to figure out who they are still. So I think it totally makes sense to me that Real Sociedad, especially that back line with uh, Zabeldia and Lenormand and Munoz and Ilastondo, that was their core. That is where their depth and their experience comes from and has had in recent years. But, you know, it was other than Moreno, it was the rest of the players moving forward that were kind of either they're getting older like Silva and you can't push him too far or you're bringing young players off the bench and they don't really figure out they I mean he hasn't really figured out who fits what roles just yet so we also have to try and piece things together and that that would be my that's what I would surmise all all, all of this makes sense yeah but you're bringing your own narrative and imposing it on what I just said the comment was from the opposing coach those are my guesses yeah yeah this is that's what this is no 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 no. because what Alguacil said the Ansu sub is not what killed us. At that point, we simply could not keep up anymore. Ansu was subbed in at like the 60-minute mark. They could not keep up. How long has it been that Barcelona has played a match where the opponent team was just out of energy? Like I think it's an extraordinary statement from, from the Real Sociedad coach. What do you think led to that? Then what... I mean, what was it? What is the what is the difference? What what is the thing that ground them down? Is it as you said? Is it the heat in Spain? Is it the pace of the game? I I don't even like. Um, it was not particularly hot. It's definitely still hot, but um, it's not the hottest area of Spain. Uh, there were no water breaks. I do think that uh, the pace of the game was was significant, but it was not 
insanely significant uh, or it did not seem like you know it's not like one of those games against Bilbao where, or uh, or uh, Liverpool when they are on where uh, it's, it's just relentless but you know often we face that situation against uh, tough opponents where we just cannot keep up because uh, because of the intensity I, I just thought it was extraordinary uh, for that for for a coach to say this. Now, what what are the differences here? Jordi Alba was not on the pitch. Busquets was not on the pitch either. But to be honest, Busquets presses a lot more than Frankie, mm-hmm. and Busquets challenges a lot better for loose balls than Frankie does. So this, I'm not I'm I'm, I'm not sure what the difference is. I, I I do think that one of the one of the advantages of Alejandro Balde is is his energy i thought that was the biggest asset like he uh he was all over the pitch sometimes the same with rafinha when he comes on of mm-hmm. course pedri pedri was also relentless on offense and and defense i would need to rewatch the game again to figure out where exactly gabi fitted in everything i agree with that yeah. um you know because uh, what we do know about gabi is that he's intense it's just that he he was invisible, but maybe he was still dragging players all over the place. Mm-hmm. If we if if we actually keep an eye on it, um, well, I want to throw Eric I, Garcia in that mix too, because Eric Garcia, you know, again, all the questions are on the defensive side of the ball, but offensively, when Barcelona has the ball, he he does make the pace of Barcelona's back line quicker. He also is absolutely and and and, and to, and to be honest, most games he's perfectly fine defensively. Mm-hmm. They say they say he's slow. He's not. The the biggest problem that he has is defending high balls and not necessarily crosses, uh, but especially where um, where attackers are allowed to uh, like um, back into him. Uh, yeah, that's and, his one fault. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and receive the ball, yeah. and and he's kind of like hanging on from the back. He puts his arms around them because he yeah. doesn't know how to how to defend that. But defensively, he's very aggressive. He he always anticipates very well, and when he receives the ball, he he passes the ball very fast as well. So yeah, I I just thought that you know, it's not something that we have heard a lot about about uh, Barca, even in the games in the last years where where we won, uh, and when they ask him, well, what what was the change? Uh, the coaches just go like, well, you know, they're, they're it's Barca. Yeah, and yeah. It, it 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 kind of alludes to the brilliance of some of our players. And I but... think that, that makes you think of the game differently as well. Because again, like I've been, my narrative has been, yeah, that Ansu and Rafinha came on, that talent came on and a flip was switched for Barcelona. But those comments on the Al Sociedad coach says, no, I mean, yeah, they were ready to flip the switch when Ansu and those really talented players came on. Yes, but we were worn down. Like we were ready yeah. for a flip to we switch. Like would, would, a, would a Brothwaite have flipped that switch? Yeah, maybe, maybe not. But he admitting the admittance that that flip was ready to be, uh, that switch was ready to be flipped, rather. Uh, all right, so last things last is I would be unfair to finish the show without quickly mentioning Ter Stegen because I think in the good times, we're going to have to mention him because I think he's also going to get blamed for things throughout the season. But he's now put together, it's two is a small sample size, but two back-to-back really good performances. That save in particular on David Silva was the kind of save that keeps Barca in a match long enough for everything else to fit together, right? And that flip to be switched and Barcelona to continue to put the opponent under pressure. He, he, he was great. He was great. I, I Like, has 
Ter Stegen flipped the switch. I don't remember two two games in a row where Ter Stegen um, kept us in the game. You know, every now and then we had one game out of 10 or 15 where he made a really good save and like, wow, he kind of grabbed the point. And then he would lose points for us uh, during in, in a couple of matches over the next 10 rounds. He's had a good he's had a good preseason. I've seen analysis that um, his his knee issues are what has led to to his decline. If that analysis is true, then logically speaking, these two matches that we just saw would be an uh, anomaly, and uh, he will not keep this up. Uh, But uh, but yeah, let's see, let's see. Like it it would be wonderful to to have Stegen back. Because, you know, if you put anybody else except Courtois in Madrid's goal, then they would not win the Champions League last, last season. Uh, yeah, for sure. Maybe not even La Liga. Yeah, would have been close. Or would have been closer, for sure. Yeah, I mean... And, and God knows that Ter Stegen has lost us points uh, over the last uh, I, uh, years. four years. And, oh, yeah, he, he, years. He, and he might have even lost as a European success as well. Yeah, so having Ter Stegen back is a, a spot on the roster, uh, squad list, you, again, you don't have to worry about. And I, I very much fully trust Inaki Pena as the backup, and a cheap backup at that, again, looking at his salary. So we didn't really talk about Lewandowski. He was like pretty much the one player in the 11 we didn't really get to because we already did some Araujo stuff earlier, and Christensen also pretty quiet. But anyway, Lewandowski, two goals in the Liga. We'll talk about him plenty this year. So that'll wrap up another show. There's a friendly again tomorrow against Man City. The Femini beat the pants off um, Montpellier in the uh, the Gamper, the Femini version, 6 nothing in that one, so looking dominant. But again, that was a glorified friendly. We'll see what they do in, in European competition. So, Levan, again, before my coughing fit gets any worse, again, apologies if you heard it. I tried my best to edit these things out, but, you know, we, we carry on, and hopefully I, again, have a uh, little more water and clear things out by the time it's time to do the next match review, next podcast uh, later in the week. So we'll have one for you probably on Thursday or Friday, and until then... Uh, last word, Levon. Go ahead. All right. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Just a cool thing that uh, that we are doing this season. Myself, Neil Gardner, Huayo uh, Position, and uh, Domagos uh, are doing uh, combined player ratings for, for every Barca match. So uh, we're rating the players for each, each Barcelona match that they play in. It's not only going to be fun match by match but especially as the as the season progresses i'm very curious um who will be our top performers over the course of a whole season who is going to improve over the course of the season who will be our worst performance over the course of the season um with all of these amazing uh central defenders that we have who is going to be the best central defender who is going to be the best forward uh and so on and so on uh, who who will who will turn out to be better uh, rafinha or dembele there's so much interesting stuff, and uh, you know the four of us. We we really know our game, so we we are quite analytical and cold when it comes to evaluating players. Um, it's going to be very a very uh, interesting and uh, and fun process. Yeah, those are all friends of the podcast as well. So I endorse I endorse all four <laughs> of uh, in, in doing that business. I'm looking forward to watching you guys and and following along and maybe having my own say as well. So all right, we are on Twitter and Instagram as well at the Barcelona Pod, close Facebook group, Patreon. YouTube for those match reviews, the five headlines I do after the game, usually the day of or the day after, then our merch store, you know where that is. So thanks so much for listening to the show. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. And forward to Barca. Forza Barca.
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.